We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. All right, listen, uh, I got a question. All right, so we jump into this new series today. Uh, called Reset. How many of you uh, back in the 90s, either you owned or you bought your kids a Nintendo? Anybody here? Any Nintendo people in the room? So this is what it looked like right here. Some of our younger group have no idea what this is about. This is the greatest invention ever. And all the gaming industry that's going on, this is really where it started. Some of you would say Atari. I say Nintendo, all right? But then this is, this is the game. And my second favorite feature, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. I'm going to tell you my first favorite feature uh, before we get into the second favorite feature of the Nintendo. It was the codes that you discovered in certain games. How many of y'all played Contra? Raise your hand if you're a Contra. Does anybody here know the code to Contra? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, finish it. BA Select Start. I love it. I love it. I literally could ask you guys to quote Psalm 23 and you would fail, but you got that right. I, I don't know what that says about you or our church, but hey, good job. So you had codes, you have unlimited life if you did that, but my second favorite feature was this button right here. It's called the reset. The reset button. I'm, I've been known to be a competitive person, so I hate losing. And uh, so when I was a kid, this was my favorite button because the moment I was going to get beat by somebody, I would just reach over there and hit reset and say, you didn't beat me, I reset the game. And uh, that was just how I did things. But So if the game would freeze up, some of y'all know about the freeze up of Nintendo. You had to pop the thing out and blow in it and put it in just right. And, 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 and But other, every now and then you just had to hit reset. So the reset button was a kind of a cool thing because no matter how the game was going, no matter what the circumstances, you could always hit reset and start the game again. Here's the reality. Many of us in life, we go through seasons, we go through circumstances because of maybe uh, decisions we've made in our present, in our past, uh, circumstances out of our control. We find ourselves at places at times where we just want to reset. We just want to be able to start over and reset, which is why I think so many people love January. We love the new year, and for us, a new decade. We love this because there's something about turning the page of the calendar, of getting into a new year. Like, we're no different than December 31st, but there's something about January 1 that just feel like we get a clean slate. There's, a, there's an open calendar for us to kind of look to the future and say, okay, the past is the past, but now we've got something to look forward to. You know, nothing's really changed, but we kind of have this new opportunity to kind of start fresh. And I think sometimes this is where many of us live our lives. We kind of live in a perpetual state of looking for something to give us a restart when what really we need to be looking is for is a someone, not a something. Because here's the thing, in, in New Year, we have these resolutions we make. I'm not talking about resolutions today, but we do. We have resolutions, we have goals, things we're going to do differently in our New Year, and those things are great and fine. 
But many of us will look to resolutions or will look to goals to try to make a better version of our life, to try to get that restart we're looking for. But here's the great news, that in the gospel of Jesus, what we find is not just a new, better version of you, but rather a brand new you. That in Jesus, you can have the restart that you've been looking for, that you've been longing for. And this is where we're going to be the next couple of of weeks. So we're going to see that the gospel offers something that resolutions cannot. And that is a genuine new start in Jesus. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to talk to you this morning about being refreshed. So in this series... Week one, we're going to talk about what it means to find refreshment in the gospel, to be refreshed in Christ. The word refresh, uh, according to vocabulary.com, has this definition. Uh, To refresh, or is to refresh, is to renew or revive. Renew or revive. How many of you sometimes feel like you need to have a renewal or to be revived, right? So it's to renew or revive, to make someone feel newly clean or invigorated. That oftentimes we find ourselves in life needing that. We have different means by which we find refreshment. For some of you, you take Sunday naps. Any Sunday nap takers in the room? More of you need to raise your hand because most of you will take naps during the sermon. I know it. So you are Sunday nap people. Um, So you like the Sunday nap. There's just something about going home and just turning the TV off or maybe turning the ball game on in in, in the background and you just kind of just blank out for 45 minutes to an hour and you just feel refreshed when you wake up. Other people take time off. A couple of weeks ago, I left after Christmas Eve service and didn't come back to work until uh, last Sunday night. We had an event and I came back. I felt refreshed after being off. You know, we find different ways of finding refreshment. For the Dallas Cowboys, they take the playoffs. That's their time of refreshment. And (laughs) And um, uh, some of you are booing, so uh, let me just throw it out there. That's what us Razorback fans call bowl season as well, a time of refreshment. Um, so we, we have different measures, but the, maybe the most practical way that I could paint the picture for you is what you feel on a summer day when you're working out in the yard and you're tired and you're dirty and you're stinky and you're sweaty and man, you just feel like you're dragging. And when you get in there into the house or the air conditioner, you take a shower and you put some fresh clothes on, you feel reinvigorated. You feel revived again. You feel refreshed. Well, here's the thing. In this room, here's a common denominator that I think we, we have to recognize in the room that links us all together. And that is we all share the need at times to need to feel refreshed, to be revived, to be renewed, to be feeling like we're reinvigorated for life. And most of us in this room, um, right now we're in a season of needing that. And here's the common denominator. The predominant reason many of us go through those seasons is because we all battle the same issue. And that issue is spelled S-I-N. That sin leaves us feeling at times dominated, defeated, dirty, like we just can't get it right. We fail time and time and time again. We can't get over it. And so for many of us, maybe for decades, it's failure after failure, hoping that this year is going to be the year. We go through seasons of our life where that sin that we thought was over with you know, rises back up in our life, and there we are again. And it just leaves us feeling hopeless at times. And here is the reality that, that sin is the connection that we all have. By the way, just so you'll know if that's you going, yeah, that's me, but I don't want to say it too loud. Listen, everybody in this room battles this. This is the common denominator. This is the link that links us all together. We're all broken. We're all sinful. Amen? That was not very convincing. So if you're here and you feel like, man, I'm the only one, you're not the only one. 
I want you to know you're in a room full of sinners, and I know you're in a room full of sinners, and I'm one of them. In fact, I'll just admit to you that if you, if you knew some of the things that I wrestle with in my mind and insecurities and different things, that you would want to hear me preach on anything on Sundays. Because, listen, sin is a part of all of our journey. The question is, what do we do with it? How, how do we respond to it? When we feel overwhelmed, when we feel defeated, when we feel dirty because of decisions we've made, when we feel like, man, there's no hope of overcoming that, where do we turn? Well, the Scripture is going to show us that in the Gospel, we can be refreshed in Jesus. So there's good news for us today. So grab your Bibles, John, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. John writes this. He's going to show us how we, as believers, need to respond to the sin in our life, that Jesus offers us something that resolutions cannot. Look what he says. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Now, What's the message? The message is the gospel, all right? It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the truth about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Who's the him? It's Jesus. So John is saying, hey, here's the message we heard from Jesus, and we've proclaimed it to you. Now, here is a portion of this. Look what he says. He says that God is light. Now, what does he mean when he says God is light? Well, this, this word light here is a reference to the holiness of God, the sinlessness of God, the perfection of God. John is saying this is the message. This is one of the fundamental parts of our faith, that God is light. This is the nature of God. He is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless. And then he even goes further and says, and in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. So how much darkness is in God? No darkness in God. So what he's simply saying, this word darkness here is referring to sinfulness, uh, unholiness, unrighteousness. So he says, listen, here's what you need to know, that God is light. God is perfect. God is holy. We are not. And in him there is no darkness whatsoever. And look what he goes on to say. He says, but if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, this is such a tender term here. I can picture John dealing with this issue of sin, knowing, and like in this room, one of the things that I know in this room is some of you right now, as I'm talking, you're kind of feeling ashamed because I'm talking about sin. 930 service was the quietest room I've ever been in, I think, in my life. You know why? Because they're more sinful than you. No, because, <laughs> because anytime this subject comes up, there's this sense of I've got to run into the shadows i got to run into the shadows. I can't, I can't deal with this. So I think John is, is saying, hey, little children, come here. He's like spiritual father to these. He's, I want to say something to you. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we're all going to, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. So this, this common thing we wrestle with called sin, 
this thing that we can't get away from, we can't deny, it's in us. We're not talking about the sin in the world, there's sin in the world, but I'm talking about the sin in your heart, the sin in my heart, the sin that seems every single day to woo us and challenge us and trip us and cause us to veer off the course that we know in our heart we want to go and leaves us after tempting us toward those things kind of hopeless in those moments. What do we do? How do we respond to sin? Well, according to John here, there are three primary ways humanity responds to sin. There are three. And John is going to show us these three. And I'm going to give you, if you want to take a notes, write this down. Because I think in your life, you're going to find one of these three ways right now in your life you're dealing with sin. One of them, one of them flows from the gospel. The other two flow from our own sinful heart. So let me give you the first two. The first is just how do we respond to sin? Many of us, we cover our sin. This is what John is talking about here. We cover our sin. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The idea here is he's talking about a person who's not just struggling with sin, but rather a person who willfully lives in it but pretends that he's not or she's not. It's a person who, who, who is, 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 is claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be in right relationship, in fellowship with God, yet they're in the present walking in continual sin. This is what, he, what he's saying when he says, while we walk in darkness. Verse, uh, verse uh, he says in verse 6, he said, we say we have fellowship, we, we are walking with him, but we're, doing, we're saying that while we are walking in darkness. The word walk here means... Uh, Lifestyle it means it's the way you live. It's, the, it's, it's in a present active tense in the Greek language, which means it's ongoing behavior. He says, if you're saying, if you're claiming, if you're making the declaration, oh, I've got fellowship with God, but the reality is you're walking in darkness. This is what he says. We lie. And when we do not practice the truth. So this is the person who lies about their relationship with God. They're covering up their sin. They're, they're, they're disguising their sin. They're covering it up in a right relationship with God, even though they're not in a right relationship with God. This is what he's talking about uh, here. And this is how many people live their life. They, they say, oh, you're talking about a relationship with God? Oh, I've got a relationship with God. Things are great. It's awesome. Many of you this morning, this is how you got ready for church. You not only did you physically get maybe a shower and get clothes on and you come, you even prepared yourself. You, you put the game face on. So when someone asks you a question, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm great. Things couldn't be better. I'm awesome. How's your walk with Jesus? Couldn't be better. But the reality is, you know, that's a lie. For many people, they just walk in continued disobedience, walking in sin, and yet they're claiming, me, me and God are good. Everything is great. And what we do is, is we hide behind the facade of a relationship with God, even though the reality of our heart is we're not walking with Him. Jesus would use this phrase. He, he used the word hypocrite. Now, when I talk about this, a lot of times, especially if you're skeptical of Christianity, people will go, man, I can't be a Christian because I know Christians, and man, they're just sinners like me, and man, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Because they claim to have a relationship with God, and yet I know that they fail. So let me just say, first of all, a Christian that sins is not hypocrisy. No, like, for instance, here, here's what I would say in response to that. No, 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 no. 
Yes, I sin, and that's why I'm a Christian. It's, it's a Christian is someone who recognizes I'm broken and I'm sinful and I can't get it right, but Jesus did, and I'm trusting in him, and he's at work in my life changing those things. If I could nail it, I wouldn't need Jesus. What makes me a Christian is that I own the fact that I can't nail it, and I'm resting in the one who did. So listen, a Christian who sins is not, is not making that person a, a hypocrite. Here's where hypocrisy comes in. It's a, it's a person who's claiming to be in right fellowship with God, and yet they know in their life they're walking in willful disobedience to the things of God. It's the play actor. This is the word. When Jesus uses this, he's talking to the religious leaders, the people who were great at covering up their sin. They, they covered their sin with religion. They covered their self with self-righteousness. They covered themselves with being the standard of what is right and wrong. And, and they pretended like all was well, that they and God had a great relationship. And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you hypocrites. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You say, what does that mean? He, in other words, he's saying, you're, you're like a well-manicured cemetery. The tombstone looks great. There's flowers there. The yard's been cut. Everything is great on the surface. But if you dig a few feet deep, you're going to find dead people's bones. He says it's like having a bowl. It's, it's on the counter. And you look at the bowl from the distance. You're like, man, that's a great bowl. It's clean. It's washed. It's there. And then you walk over to go put something in it. And you look down inside and you realize there's rotting food in the bottom of it. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to walk in hypocrisy. It's to pretend to be something you're not so that people around you don't get to know truly who you are. Cover. I have fellowship with God. You go to a life group. We're discussing failures and weaknesses, and you're like, not me. I'm, I'm good. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy. The word he's using here is a theatrical term. In, in the Roman Greco world, the theater was a big deal, and they would make these big coliseums. And these coliseums, a lot of people would gather in those places. And, you know, they, they developed them with architecture where you didn't need powered amplification because the, the place was just designed with brilliance so that you could stand in a large room and speak from the stage and everyone hear you. Uh, but visibility was an issue for many people sitting in the back of the room. You didn't have the big screens and the videos and be able to, to, to get that up there. So what they would do often in these, in these productions is they would put a mask on and that mask would help the people in the nosebleed sections identify with the character that's being portrayed. So if you were happy, there was a big uh, over-exaggerated smile so that everybody could see, oh, this is a good person. This is a happy person. If you were upset, you would have a frown and everyone would know this is a person who's down. Or if you were evil, there would be fangs or some sort of distortion of the face so that people sitting out in the distance might be able to see this. And here's what was happening. The actors and actresses were putting on these masks to cover up their true identity. They they were portraying something they weren't so that people would think they were that person. And here is what Jesus says. That's hypocrisy. And John says, this is one of the ways that we deal with our sin. We just cover it up. We put our mask on. We pretend we're someone we're not, hoping that, man, the, the, the shame or the guilt, or at least if I can fool everyone else and I can pretend in front of them, maybe I won't feel as insecure about the decisions that I'm making. And what's scary about this is that you live like this long enough, your conscience will become seared to the reality of your life, and you won't even know who you are. That's first. Here's the second. So we cover our sin. Here's the second response. We claim to have no sin. We claim to have no sin. Now, for some of you, you're like, that's not me. 
hang tight. We'll get there. Because I think this is all of us from time to time. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he says, if you claim to not really wrestle with sin, he says, you ain't fooling anybody but you. You're just deceiving. You're lying to yourself. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Who? God. And his word is not in us. And so, in other words, when we talk like and live like, my sin is not a big deal. And I don't sin and I don't live this way. He says, not only are you lying to yourself, but you're lying about God. You're saying, basically, God doesn't know what he's talking about. That what he calls wrong is not wrong because I'm the one who determines what is right and wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. And he says, listen, either way, you're a liar. You say, well, how do we do this? Well, we claim to have no sin by either denial or dismissal. All of this is deception. Trying to defer it away from the decisions we're making. A couple of ways that we do this. We, we dismiss our sin through comparison. This is one of the ways that we claim not to have sin. We, we compare ourselves to others. We say things like, well, I know what I'm doing is not right. I know, I know it's probably not the best. But do you know what they do? Anybody with kids? Right? Why'd you punch your sister? Well, she didn't pick up her clothes this morning. What? Like, where did that come from? What does that have to do with you punching your sister? But this is the game we play. It's comparison. I, I know that I do some things wrong, but what I do is not bad as what they do. And, man, they're a lot worse. Do you know the people that go to the church? Man, there's some people there. Man, they really make some bad decisions. And what do we do? We compare ourselves to others in an attempt to dismiss, deny, or claim that our sin is not an issue. Another way we do this. We do this through redefining morality. So we, we, in our culture, this is kind of popular. Well, I don't feel like this is wrong. I think this is okay. Like, I, I, I feel like things are changing and this should be okay. And so what, we, what do we do? We, we say things like, well, you, you do what's best for you. I'll do what's best for me. And this feels right for me. Therefore, it's something that you should approve of. And you shouldn't say that it's sin because I feel like it's okay. Anybody there? So we, we claim sinlessness or we dismiss our sin through redefining morality. Here, here's another way we do this. We do this by redefining God's nature. This is, this is crazy in our culture right now. So here's, the, here's the, the formula we use, all right? God wants me to be happy. This makes me happy. It must be okay with God, right? God wants me to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Yeah, I'm sure he wants you to be happy. He wants me to be happy and experience a life that I want to have. I want to have just a great life, and this makes me happy. Therefore, God, because he wants me to have, be happy, must be happy with this decision. And this is the reasoning many people are using to justify the sin in their own life because of, of just this redefining of God's nature. We say, listen, you know, God is love. Therefore, because God is love, I know the Bible uh, says these things about certain behaviors and certain things I should or should not do. But things are changing. And because God is love, I believe God just embraces us where we are and loves us and lets us do what we want to do. Anybody heard that before? This is redefining the nature of God. Another way we do this is that we love this. We justify it because of our circumstances. Now, this is, this is in this room. Come on now. This is in the room. Here's what we do. Well, yeah, I know you're saying, I know the Bible says that. I know that this is what my parents taught me or this is what the, the scripture says I should do and the pastor teaches. But, man, you don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstances. If you knew my circumstances... In my situation, 
You would understand while I know that from other people that may not be right, but for me it's right because of the situation I'm in. And then they'll say things like this, and if you were in my shoes, you would do the very same thing. Maybe so, but does that make it right? And so what do we do? With circumstances, we, we dismiss our sin, we deny our sin, we claim no sin because we think we're justified because of the circumstances. And listen, here's what I've learned through the years. Everyone thinks they're the exception. A 930 crowd slipped in here. Everyone thinks they're the exception. You just don't know my situation. Here's another way we do this. I love this. We elevate our goodness and minimize our badness. We get caught. But do you know how much good I do? I am generally a good person. I normally don't say things like that to that person. But man, they, they really had it coming. And man, if you'll just look, man, I told 14 people today, have a nice day. And I, I even used the whole Chick-fil-A, it's my, you know, whatever, right? My pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm really a good person, but man, that person had it coming, and so I don't do this a lot. My badness, it's down here, but my goodness is up here, so let's not look down here. I'm going to justify those decisions based upon all of this up here. It's just deflection. It's like a magician. I'm going to get you looking at this hand because this hand's doing something I want you to see. And this is how we claim sinlessness. We dismiss, we deny, we downplay it so it's not noticeable and here's what john says listen you're only deceiving yourself you're only fooling yourself listen to what charles spurgeon says about this i love this spurgeon was very direct he says the idea of having no sin is a delusion you are altogether deceived if you say so. The truth is not in you, and you have not seen things in the true light. You must have shut your eyes to the high requirements of the law. You must be a stranger to your own heart. You must be blind to your own conduct every day. You must have forgotten to search your thoughts and to weigh your motives, you, you, or you would have detected the presence of sin. He who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in his own members or his own life. I love that. He says, as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's inescapable. So you can cover it and you can claim not to have it. But here is the reality. The shame and the guilt and the defeat that we feel because of the sinful decisions we make, when we respond with covering our sin or claiming not to have sin, it does not deal with the reality and the condition of our heart. Therefore, the refreshment that we're looking for, the reset we need in life, we never experience. We only perpetuate the problem when we cover or we claim we don't have it. We don't experience the refreshing power of the gospel in our life. We listen, it, when we do this, we're dealing with our sin the way a junior high boy deals with body odor. <laughs> junior high is in here like, I don't even find that remotely funny. <laughs> it's probably the kid sitting all by himself because of the body odor. So he, how does a junior high boy deal with body odor? We just put some axe on it, right? Or we blame it on our friend. It wasn't me that snuck up the bus. It was them, right? I put act. Now you smell like stank scented axe. That's what you smell like when you do that. It doesn't, it doesn't disguise anything. It doesn't change anything. You're still 
sweaty and dirty in need of a shower. What, what do we do? We cover up. And this is what many of us do with our sin. We just cover it up or claim we don't have it, but never really deal with it. So here's the reality. Listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you deal with your sin in the first way or the second way, here's the truth for your life. At one of two things is true about you. Either you are living with broken fellowship between you and God, or you've never been saved by him. At best, at best, your relationship with God is broken and hindered because of your sin. At best, your fellowship with God is broken and hindered because of your sin. And this is why we've got to deal with it. Sometimes the mentality when we don't understand the gospel is that, man, okay, if Jesus forgave me and he died on the cross and my sins are covered and I'm forgiven, then why do I have to deal with sin? Why can't we just cover it up? Why can't we just claim not to have it? Why do I have to deal with it? Here's why. That, that your sin, listen, while your sin cannot break the relationship you have with God, if you're genuinely a Christian, it can break and hinder the fellowship between you and God. Where there's a disconnect. So for some of you in the room, you feel like, man, I just feel like there's something, there's a disconnect that, that my fellowship with God is not what I want it to be. It's not where it used to be. It could be, if you're truly a believer, it could be that there is sin in your life that you have covered or you have claimed not to have. So while sin cannot destroy, you cannot lose your salvation. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Amen? But sin can definitively break fellowship with God. And I'll, I'll illustrate it like this. Uh, my wife and I have been married for uh, almost 19 years. March will be 19 years. This is just a, I love this woman. And, uh, but believe it or not, we have had ups and downs in our marriage. We've had good days and bad days. Believe it or not, sometimes she's difficult to live with, you know? <laughs> I, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. The other services, she weren't in, wasn't in here, and uh, they laughed really hard. You guys were like, I don't even know if I should say anything. Um, <laughs> so on the days where there's friction in our home, we don't cease to be married. The marriage isn't dissolved. The covenant is still established. It's not like all of a sudden, man, we disagreed on something or, or, or an issue where I hurt her feelings or she hurt my feelings and we're not talking for a few hours that all of a sudden I'm like, am I married? Am I not married? Am I, are, we, are we still married? No, no, no. We're married, but what's happened is, is that the fellowship that we are to experience within the marriage has been interrupted because of decisions that have been made. And the relationship with her is not experienced to the fullness, the fellowship, until one or both of us are able to look at each other and say, I was wrong, I, I'm asking for forgiveness, I forgive you, and now reconciliation can happen and fellowship can be restored. It's also like this. If I'm driving to Gilmer, I know that there's a certain, uh, right, in, right in between Spring Hill and our Gilmer campus, there's going to be a low spot on Highway 300, and if I'm on the phone every single time, I will all of a sudden, that call will drop. And it'll be nobody on the phone until I get out of that little valley. Then all of a sudden, they're there. They never went anywhere. So in that moment, I don't, I don't sit there and go, well, maybe I don't have a phone in my hand. And maybe we didn't pay a bill. And maybe they killed my service. No, no, no. I still have service. And I still have a phone. What's happened is, is that the low spot I was going through caused there to be a disconnect in the conversation that I was having. This is what sin does in the heart and the life of a believer. And this is why we can't cover it up or claim not to have it. We need to deal with it. We're going to get to that in a minute. But that's at best. At best, if that is you, if you're dealing with your sin through covering up or claiming it, at best, you're living your life where they hindered or broken fellowship with God. At worst, you've never been saved to begin with. 
You've never had a relationship with God. And this is one of the points that, that John is making. John is helping these believers understand whether or not they're in Christ or not in Christ or, or who around them who's teaching, claiming to be in Christ, if they're really believers or not. And one of the ways that John is communicating that you can know whether you are in Christ or not it is in how you respond to sin. So, so here is the point. There, 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 when you experience a genuine relationship with Jesus, there is a spiritual transformation that happens in your life. And if there is no transformation, there is no salvation. When a person is saved, listen, they are changed forever. And that doesn't mean that they stop sinning. And it doesn't mean that we no longer desire or attempted to sin. That's every day for us, Right? So even Christians will fall and stumble and be tempted. But listen, when you enter into a genuine relationship with Jesus, your relationship with sin changes forever. And there is a transformation that happens in your life. There is a new nature with new desires that longs to be pleasing to the Lord. The way I would describe it is this, is that you have some people that have their, their life is, is described like this. It's just failure and sin, failure and sin, failure and sin, failure and sin with momentary regret and I'm going to be good for a little bit and then there's more seasons of just brokenness, brokenness, sin, 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 moments of freedom and, and, and then but the, the, what characterizes our life is the life that's defeated by sin. And then there are those whose life is in Christ, I've been transformed and I'm walking in obedience and I stumble and I get up and I fall and I get up. But the trajectory of my life is a life that's pursuing the things of God. The first description is someone who most likely has never been saved. But the life of a believer is going to be a life that is in the trajectory toward the things of Christ's light and Christ being formed in your life with momentary seasons and momentary acts of sin. But the characteristic of our life is that we're pursuing Christ and becoming like him. This is what John MacArthur says about this. He says, no one can be a Christian and continue living the way he did before he knew Christ. Making a decision years ago, walking an aisle or reading a tract on how to accept Christ is not the biblical criterion for salvation. The issue is your life right now. If sin and unrighteousness characterizes your life, there is a possibility you are a disobedient Christian, but there is a greater possibility you are not a Christian at all. So the person who's claiming to be in Christ, but their life is a life of walking and pursuing sin, there's a chance that you've never met Christ. This is what Vody Balcom said, great pastor and theologian. He says, we got far too many people living like hell, but claiming they're going to heaven. And if that's you, this morning you need a relationship with Jesus. And you need to stop pointing to some obscure moment in your life. If you know, when you look at your life, there is no evidence of a transformation that has happened. Where There's no Christ being formed in your life. It's been predominantly sin, maybe with momentary seasons of obedience, but predominantly just living in sin. You need to examine your relationship with Christ and stop pointing back to some obscure event that happened in your life years ago. And here's what I mean by that. We have somebody, you know, when you see their life, there's like no, no evidence of Christ in their life. And you ask them, well, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Well, they'll go, well, yeah, back, back 20 years ago, I was at a deal and man, I just felt really bad about my sin. And I cried a lot and I gave my life to Jesus. I prayed the prayer, but yet their life looks no different than it did before. That would be the equivalent. Like, like if you were to ask me, you know, Todd, are you married? Pastor, are you married? If I was like, well, I mean, I think so. I'll tell you what, you know what? 
You know, like March 17, 2001, in, in, in First Baptist Church came in Arkansas. There was an event. There was a ceremony. And I was on stage. There was a lot of tears involved. And I, I remember saying some words back at a preacher. I think, I'm, I think I am married. You would probably be like, something's weird, right? But if you said, hey, are you married? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm married. Her name's Adrian. How do you know you're married? Well, we've had 19 years of a life together. I went to bed last night. She was there. I got up this morning. She was there. For the last 19 years, she's been there, and we're growing in a relationship. There's been good times. There's been bad times. There are times of regret. There are moments where, man, I wish we could recapture those weeks or those conversations, but, man, for the most part, there has been this loving, growing relationship that I've had from the moment we made the vow to one another in this covenant. There's been 19 years of relationship that's been growing and thriving because of that. I don't need to show you a picture or a marriage certificate to verify that I'm married, what I can tell you is, is that there was a covenant exchange and there has been a life shared. And so many of you in this room, you keep pointing back to some event. But there's been no life shared. You might want to examine the genuineness of the event. And this morning, you're going to get an opportunity to do that. So here's the question. What's the correct response? So this third response is a response for believers. When you are in Christ, there is a third response to sin that ushers in for us a a refreshment, a refreshment to our soul that we find in Christ. Um, and, And it's simply this. So we don't cover it. We don't claim not to have it. Listen, we are being cleansed from it. Now, the key word is being. Everybody say being, which means it's a process. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But the, 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 my, what I do when I respond to sin is I trust in Christ. I rest in the finished work of Christ. And in that moment, I'm being cleansed from my sin. This is the right response to sin in the life of a believer. This is where we experience the refreshing power of the gospel in the core of our soul. Listen, true Christianity is not the absence of sin Rather, it's the presence of Jesus who overcomes and cleanses the sin that's in me. You see, when the grace of God is at work in my life, not only do I experience his forgiveness for my sin, but he cleanses me from my sin and ultimately gives me freedom over my sin. This is what the gospel produces in my life. You've heard it like this. So I I am saved. I am saved. Three, three phases of salvation. I am saved. So October 22nd, 1993, I, I, I felt brokenness over my sin. I confessed my sin. I called on the name of Jesus. And in that moment, my sins, past, present, future, were forgiven. And in that moment, I was saved. And I am saved today as I was that moment where I trusted in Christ. I am saved. And then there's the last phase. That's the first phase. The last phase, I will be saved There's a day coming when Christ is going to return and all things are going to be made new and there'll be no more battle with sin. I will have a glorified body, no more sin of flesh, uh, flesh that, that draws me towards sin. Rather, I will be made whole in Christ, never to sin again. So I am saved because I've trusted in Christ and that is done deal because of his finished work. I will ultimately be saved when he makes all things new. But between that first moment and that last moment, everything in between, I am being saved. I'm in the process 
of being cleansed from sin, of being set free from sin. Next week, we're actually going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life that gives us a life of victory. But what do we do now? How do we respond? If this is the case, how do we respond? How do we walk in this? What do I do when I sin? Where I can walk in the refreshing power of the gospel that cleanses me from my sin. I want you to walk away with something tangible. I want you to walk away with with knowing how to deal personally with the sin that we all have in our life as followers of Jesus. Let me get you to write a couple of things down. Here's the first one. Write this down. What do I do? How do I respond to sin? The first is this, and it's coming from this text. First is be honest. Be honest. Be honest about your sin. In chapter 1, verse 9, this is what John writes. If we confess our sins... Confess. The word confess here is a Greek word that is it's a compound word. It comes from two phrases. The one as to say or to speak. The second phrase is the same as. So the word literally means to, same, to say the same as another. So to confess our sin is not merely to acknowledge the presence or the reality of sin, but rather it is to agree with God about my sin. And acknowledge it before him. So what does it mean to confess my sin? It is for me to go to God and say, I am going to confess. I'm not going to cover my sin. I'm not going to claim I have no sin. I am going to be honest with you about my sin. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to not just acknowledge it. I'm going to agree with you about the very nature of the sin itself. God, what I did, it was a violation to your holiness. It's an offense to you, and I'm confessing that what I did was wrong. I agree with what you say about my sin, and I'm wanting my life to be realigned with what you say my life should look like. It's not merely just acknowledging. It's sincerely agreeing and letting your heart be lined up with what God says about the certain behavior. That is, that, is, that is a lot different than how many of us deal with our sin, is it not? We've got to be honest. I love what he says here. He says, if we confess our sin, it's present active. Why is that important? Present active, when he says, if we confess, the word confess is present active, because this is the ongoing posture in the life of a believer. As I walk with Jesus, as I pursue Jesus, as I I abide in him and his presence in me, here's what happens. God reveals sin in my life. He helps me see the things that shouldn't be there. And as the Holy Spirit reveals these things, my response is not to cover it, not to claim not to have it, not to excuse it away. It is to say, yes, I agree. It shouldn't be there and confess it. I'm going to be honest. I know that what you're saying is true and I want to live differently. This is what it looks like. And this is the ongoing posture of the life of a believer it's not a one time I'm sorry it's the ongoing walking in the forgiveness we've received by being honest in confessing our sin to God and by the way the nearer you live to God in proximity the more aware of your sin you will be I don't feel listen I don't feel more righteous the closer I get to God I am more aware of the lack of righteousness the closer I get to God Jonathan Edwards says it like this, the nearer a man lives to God, the more he grieves over his own sinful soul. So what do we do? We confess. We get honest. Here's number two. Be specific. Be specific. Notice what he says in verse 9. 
If we confess our what? All right, no, 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 listen. Not sin. If we confess our what? Sins, plural. If we confess our sins, why is he saying sins and not sin generally? Because John is not saying just generalize your sin and say, oh, I did something wrong. No, 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 no. It's sins. It's specific acts, specific thoughts, specific motives that we need to get honest with God about. Many of us deal with our sin around the dinner table, and here's what it looks like. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. I pray that you'll bless it and bless the hands of those who prepared it. Some of you, I'm praying your prayer right now. Let it nourish my body somehow, some way, this greasy piece of pizza, right? <laughs> and then before we end our prayer, what do we say? And oh, if you'll forgive us where we fail you. What are we doing there? Are we genuinely getting honest before God? Are we getting specific about our issues? No, no, dinner table is not the place to do it. But this is how we generalize confession. We just kind of go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I'm doing. No, 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 no. Listen, we need to look at the specific acts. So when I go before God in confession, I'm not going to go to him and just kind of veil the issue because here's the reason many of us will not be specific because we don't want to acknowledge the reality of what it is we've done. It's another way to cover it up. We generalize it. When I'm honest before the Lord, here's what I do. God, I know that what I said last week to my wife was wrong. And God, it came from a root of pride in my life. God, I know that pride lives in me. And what I said last week was not only hurtful to her, it was offensive to you. And I know the root of that is the pride that's in me. So God, I'm asking, I agree that pride should not be in my heart. And I'm confessing, I'm honest about the condition. And I'm asking you to realign my heart, deal with the issue, the sin, which is not, not a sin, the sin, which is pride in that moment. And so many of us are scared to death of this because we'll actually have to call the sin what it is. God, I have a lustful heart. God, I, I have a heart of hatred toward people. And because of that, you say that I have a heart of murder. God, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I agree that this is a wrong disposition of my heart as your child, and it's causing a hindrance between you and me. And so, God, I'm confessing. I have a murderous heart. I have an adulterous heart. I have a, a, a covetous heart, and I'm asking you to deal with that. Do you see the power and the freedom that can come with that? Because then you're letting God weed out the sin that does not belong in your life by getting a hold specifically of those areas of our heart. This is vastly different than how many of us deal with our sin, the way I typically want to deal with my sin. But when you call it what it is, it gets real, and the grace of God can say, okay, then there's no more hiding it. Let's just drag it out there. It is what it is. I know it. You know it. Let's just say it, and let me deal with it. And here's the third thing. Be honest. Be specific. Be confident. Be confident. You see, what keeps us oftentimes, our sin sometimes can keep us from running into the presence of God. And we don't even know what it is, but, but there's something about when we get honest and get specific that allows there to be some confidence. Here's what John Piper says about his own heart. He wrote this in a journal, and he made it into a devotional. This is what John says. He says, this morning, talking about his own life, he says, this morning I began to pray, and I felt unworthy to be talking to the creator of the universe. Has anybody ever felt like that? So I told him so. Now what? Nothing changed until I began to get specific about my sins. Crummy feelings 
can be useful if they lead to conviction for specific sins. But vague feelings of being a bad person are not usually very helpful. The fog of unworthiness needs to take shape into clear, dark pillars of disobedience. In other words, the vagueness of what is going on in my heart, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to help me pinpoint the pillar of sin, the real sin that's there, the specific sin. And then he says this, he says, and then you can point to them and repent and ask for forgiveness and take aim with your gospel bazooka to blow them up. I love that. And we can do this with confidence. Here's why. Look at verse 9 again. If we confess our sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. We can go with confidence that He is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive our sins. It doesn't matter what sin it is, how big it is, how dark it is, how embarrassed you are of it, He is faithful. When we get honest, when we get specific, He is always, always, always faithful and will not only forgive the sin, He'll cleanse the sin, and no matter what the sin is, because it's all unrighteousness. You can go to the Father. You can have confidence. And here's the thing. Why is this so important? Because here's what the enemy will do. He will play games with your mind. When you fail, when you sin, he will tell you, cover it up. Claim you don't have it. Pretend it's not there. Because, man, I don't know that God's going to want to talk to you. You need to stay out of church for a little bit. And by the way, when you get in life group, that life group leader is going to be asking about struggles. You need to keep this one to yourself because no one's going to understand that. You're the only one in the room that deals with that sin. And, man, God must be really disappointed in you. And probably what you need to do is try to do some things to clean yourself up before you go run into God because he was, had nothing to do with you. And this is what the enemy does in our heart. But when we walk with confidence, we can go, no, no, no. I can be honest. I can confess specific sins and I can know that he's faithful and he will forgive. Why? Because of what he says in chapter two. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. So we're moving toward holiness. But if anyone does sin, because you're going to, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. Church family, listen to me. When he says that Jesus is the advocate with the Father, an advocate is one who goes on behalf and, and is an intermediator, uh, mediates for us. When he says we have an advocate with the Father, he does not mean to tell us that the Father is up there all ticked at us and the Son has to step in and say, hey, he's mine. That's how many of us think about this. No, no, the advocate has been sent by the Father. The Father is not going, you better get the Son between us because, man, I'm about to unleash fury on you. The enemy will convince you of that. No, no, no. We have an advocate. And the advocacy of Jesus took place on the cross because what John says, listen, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is our propitiation. What does that mean? It means the wrath of God aimed toward us over our sin has been fully appeased in Christ. And so when we sin, we don't have to run to the shadows. We don't have to go clean ourselves up. We don't have to pretend that it's not there. We can be honest before the Father, specifically call the sin what it is, with confidence knowing that whatever I'm about to confess, Jesus has already 
already paid for, and the Father is going to meet me in that moment with grace and mercy, and he is going to shower me with his love, and it's in that place that I find spiritual refreshment in my soul. So two questions for us. Two questions for us. The first is this. I'm asking you to wrestle with this question. If you are uncertain about your relationship with Jesus, or for some of you, you need to wrestle with this because you've been putting your confidence in something else. Here's the question you'd ask. Am I genuinely saved? Have I been truly transformed by Jesus? Or am I a pretender, deceiving myself and others? There are some of you in this room, this is the question you really need to wrestle with. Are you a pretender? Or have you truly been transformed by the gospel? If the reality of your life is you've never been transformed by the gospel, then maybe God has sent you here today so that you might meet him and stop being a pretender, take the mask off, and be washed in the blood of Christ. Here's the second question. For those of you who say, you know what, I, I know the answer to that one. I, am, I know I'm a, I'm a believer. So here's the question. What specific sins are in my life that I need to be honest about before the Lord and with confidence allow him to cleanse me from? What are the specific sins? You know what would bring about revival in this church? This church? If we would just get honest and specific about our sin. So I'm asking every single one of you, call yourself followers of Christ. We all have sin in our life. What are you doing with yours? What, what sin in your life right now is hindering your relationship with God and you've not been honest about it? You've not been specific about it for whatever reason. My challenge for you today is to meditate for a moment. To let the scriptures wash over your mind to bring you to a place of submission to Christ so that you can either be saved if the answer to the first question is, man, I'm a pretender. Or for those of you who are walking in sins, you can be refreshed and get a reset. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're not going to sing. We are going to do is give you a moment just to ponder those two questions before we get out of here. I'm asking you just to be reverent in the moment. I'm asking you just to get into a place where it's just you and Jesus. Are you a pretender this morning? If the answer is yes, and I want you to know there's mercy and grace in, in Jesus for you, and you can write where you are, call in his name for salvation. When the service is dismissed in a few moments, we'll have staff members here at the front who would want to come and pray over you, encourage you in this new journey. Others of you, What are the sins in your life that you need to be honest about that are hindering your relationship with Jesus that you've maybe never dealt with? Let Jesus speak to your heart right now. Father, we love you. And I pray now for anyone here who does not know you, 
never been transformed, may they be refreshed by the gospel today and be saved. And then for those who've covered and concealed and claimed no sin, I pray that you would let them experience the supernatural refreshment of confession, being honest, specific, and confident, and finding mercy and grace that would cleanse them from their sin. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.